your Bibles this evening, let's take them. Let's go to the book of Judges, chapter number 13, please. The 13th chapter in the book of Judges is where we're going to be tonight. And uh, we have, uh, of course, given the theme, as you see it there on the screen, for our church this year, which is more than enough. And, of course, we're looking there at 2 Corinthians, chapter number 12, and we're understanding that the Apostle Paul expresses his frustration to the Lord for a thorn in the flesh. does not tell us what that thorn is, but just that it was something that bothered him and something that he went to the Lord on three separate occasions for, and he asked that God would remove it from him. And of course, you know, God's response on three separate times was no, but then God gave a little bit more context on that third time, and he said this, he said that my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So the very, the very thing that sometimes we we look at as a hindrance in our lives might be, the remain, remaining of that thing might be the very thing that enables us to tap into more of God's grace and more of God's strength. And the idea being that when you and I are weak, when we're weak, he's able to be strong. The problem is when we're strong, as we're going to see tonight in the life of Samson, God is not able to work to the extent that he would like to work in our lives because the Lord will share his glory with no one. Would you look at me in Judges chapter number 13? The Bible says there in verse number one, and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. You remember? Remember last week we talked about that pattern as we looked at the life of Gideon? They did evil in the sight of the Lord again, the Bible says. They did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And of course, here is the pattern played out. And the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. Now in Gideon's case, the Bible says that they were delivered in the hands of the enemies, enemy for seven years. Here, they're delivered for 40 years. Verse number two. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites. So he's a member of the tribe of Dan, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and Barnah. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren. And bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite, or separated unto God, living under this vow from the womb. And he shall, he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. You may, you may want to mark that phrase at the end of verse number five and highlight that in your Bible where, where the Bible says this about, uh, about Samson, that he shall begin, he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. We come tonight to one of the saddest stories in all of the Bible. The story of Samson is one of crazy potential. But ultimately, his story leaves us dissatisfied and unfulfilled. The tale of Samson is of what could have been or what might have been. The angel of the Lord who came to visit Samson's mother in Judges 13 and verse number 5, that angel had it right when he proclaimed of Samson that he shall begin to deliver Israel. Samson would begin the work of deliverance, but due to, listen, due to his confidence and his belief in himself and in his strength that he was enough, he would never finish 
what he began to do. If you study the book of Judges, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that Samson is the last, really the last great judge in the book. After Samson's life concludes, you'll find that there is, there's more bondage, there is more death, uh, there is more trouble with the Philistines. Uh, there, are, there are issues, there are problems that, that essentially the, the, the Israelites are directionless until the time of a young man by the name of Samuel. Now we're in a series concentrating on men in the Bible who were not enough. And we're attempting to emphasize this theme that God's grace and his strength are more than enough in our lives to make up for any and all deficiencies that we possess. The men that we have studied so far, all of them have recognized almost from the very beginning of their calling by God and their public biblical ministry, they have all recognized that they're not enough. We talked about Moses, and Moses, of course, was giving God excuse after excuse why I can't do this. I have problems here, and I have problems there. We looked at Joshua, and the Bible tells us on a number of occasions there in the first chapter of Joshua that God had to tell Joshua, be strong and be of a good courage. The emphasis of the idea being that Joshua was struggling just a little bit in this area. And, and of course, we've looked at the life of Gideon, and we, we discovered last week that Gideon is, is, is hiding from the enemy. He, is, he, he, needs, he needs constant reassurance. Uh, he is, he's doubting. He's weak in faith. And yet God used each of these men in an amazing way because, listen, when we are not enough, that's the type of person God's looking to use. God takes his grace and his strength and he pours it into the lives of men and women who are not enough. However, Samson, Samson throughout his life lives with confidence in his own power and his own ability. He thinks he's enough. What he cannot see, what he cannot see is the spectacular, the spectacular failure at the end of his life uh, where he, uh, he's, his eyes are gouged out. He is grinding, the Bible says, at a mill, and the Philistines are mocking and taunting him until the day he dies. Samson, a man who thinks he's enough, will discover, listen, he will discover the hard way that the opposite is true. That the power, strength, charisma, and talent that Samson operates in, which he is convinced is his own, He'll discover, listen, he'll discover that actually all of that is a gift from God. From the mighty hand of God designed to be at work in and through him. And his failure to acknowledge God as enough and himself as not enough will keep him from ever accomplishing all that he could have accomplished. It's vital that we understand that the Lord will not share his glory with anyone. He specifically calls, the Bible says, he calls not many wise. He calls not many mighty, not many noble. And the reason why he doesn't call too many people like that is so that no flesh should glory in his presence. We read of that in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. Now listen, that's true of Samson. It's still true of Samson. Because listen, all of his might came from God. All of his power, all of his strength, all of the extraordinary things that he does, we're going to look at them here in just a few moments, all of that comes from the mighty hand of God. But Samson doesn't acknowledge that. He doesn't realize that. 
He thinks that all of that dwells within himself, that he is solely responsible for his power and for his strength and for his might. He fails to acknowledge that God is enough until it is too late. Because of Samson's failure in this area, he dies a premature death. And he only, listen, as the scripture says, he only begins, he only begins to do what God has called him to do. I think most of us would probably characterize Samson's life overall as being disappointing. I think that'd probably be a good word to describe what Samson's life ends up being. Why this, why this disappointment? Why this failure to live to his massive potential? Here's the reason, because Samson refused to see himself as not enough. Instead of yielding himself to the Lord, he sought ways to operate and conduct his life under his own power and his own control. Though Samson believed he was enough, ultimately, listen, Samson was every bit as flawed and broken as Moses was. He was every bit as flawed and broken as Joshua was, as Gideon was, as any of us are in this room, and yet he failed to acknowledge it. You see, even those enormously gifted and talented are ultimately not enough to succeed in spiritual warfare. You can be successful in your career. You can be successful in this and that. But listen, when it relates to spiritual warfare, if you're operating in your own talent, your own ability, your own strength, you'll never find success there. I want us to take a look tonight at some factors that I believe led to Samson getting this idea that he was enough and that he could accomplish his life's purpose and calling on his own. Number one, I want you to consider with me that I believe in some respects that Samson's unusual birth and calling led him to believe that he was different. Samson's unusual birth and calling led him to believe that he was different. Now, it's hard. It's hard not to imagine this playing a role in leading Samson to conclude that he was enough on his own, that he was special, that he was different from all others, and that he could get away with some things that other people perhaps could not get away with. You know, in all of the Bible, and likely in all of human history, there are only a handful of stories that are similar to Samson's. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm speaking specifically of an angelic announcement foretelling his birth. You know, if you think about it, you study your Bible, you'll find that there are only five of these in all of Scripture. There is, there is the fact that Isaac's birth was foretold to his parents. God came long before Isaac would ever be born, and he told Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a son. And you remember they, 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 were, they were blown away by this announcement. How can this be? Seeing we are old, seeing we are way past, beyond the age of being able to bear children. How is this possible? And yet God made it abundantly clear, this child is going to be born, and he was. You, you may remember that Sam, Samuel's birth was foretold to his parents. Uh, that, that, that Eli heard a message from the Lord and said, you're going to have what you've asked for because of the spirit in which you've asked for it. You, you, may, you may remember that John the Baptist's birth was foretold to his parents. And of course, we understand that the birth of Jesus Christ was foretold both to Joseph and to Mary before he was born. So if you add Samson to that number, you have five individuals in Bible history in which their parents were notified of their birth ahead of time. Through some prophetic or angelic announcement. In addition, Samson was born, listen, to a family that prior to his birth, they had tried without success 
to have children. The Bible says about his mother and about his father that they were barren, that they had no children. So we, we, we see that, that, that he is, he is, his, his birth is announced, which is special. An angel arrives and tells Manoah's wife she's going to have a son. And, and because there's, there's some confusion about all of this and how he's to be raised, the angel comes a second time and repeats the announcement. He's born into a family that prior to him being born, they have no children. It's the one thing that they've longed for all of their lives. And then we discover a third thing that made his birth unusual and special. And that is this, that the angel said that not only is he going to be born, but his birth, his arrival, is to signify the beginning of the delivery of the nation of Israel. So we find that this child is going to be very, very special and very, very unique. And we can assume, we can assume that his parents probably repeatedly told him the story of his birth over and over and over again. Can you, you, you can see it, can't you? Samson's probably six, seven, and he comes and he tugs on his mama's apron. He says, mama, tell me, tell me the story about my arrival again. And you can imagine that Manoah's wife says, okay, sit down, Samson, let me tell you this story. One day I was doing this, and all of a sudden, an angel showed up. How many people do you know that have ever seen an angel say, well, I don't know, too many people. And the angel told me that I was going to have a son. And, you know, that was really special, Samson, because, you know, we didn't have any children prior to you being born. And we longed for that. We prayed for that. But we begged God to give us a son. And let me tell you what the angel said about you. The angel said that you're going to be begin to deliver the nation of Israel. And you can just imagine Samson's eating all of this up, don't you think? I mean, you know how little kids are. Tell me more. What else did the angel say? What do you suppose he means by that, that I'm going to begin to deliver the nation of Israel? Well, we don't know for sure, but you know, you're living under this Nazarite vow, so make sure you never drink any wine, and make sure you never come in contact with any dead corpse or body, and make sure that you never cut your hair, Samson, because all of that has to do with this delivery. We don't know how it's all going to work, but God is going to use you in a very, very special way. Don't you suppose that might have been maybe how it went? And all around him, listen, all around him, according to verses 24 and 25 of Judges 13, the Bible says that the child grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. And, and all around, there's, there's visible evidence that this child, this young man, this teenager is different. Something about him, perhaps maybe when you first saw him, it was the hair that stood out. His hair is longer than maybe most of the other young men his age. What's that all about? He's not had, he's not had a haircut in his entire life. He, he, he exhibits visible signs. The Bible says that the Lord blessed him and that the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times. Don't you suppose that words would be used, and Samson would hear these words, words like he's chosen, he's called. He's a deliverer. He's blessed. The Spirit of God is upon him. And Samson would have grown, listen, to be very, very familiar with these kinds of words. And that was his whole life, his whole upbringing. You have to imagine that his parents were constantly telling him, listen, don't, don't mess up, son, because you're supposed to be a deliverer in Israel. Hey, make sure, make sure you keep this Nazarite vow. Hey, make sure you remember, son, you go to school today, but don't you forget you're different than those other kids. You know, you're going you're gonna to sit in a classroom and those kids are going to do this and that. But those kids, they weren't, they weren't announced by an angel that they were going to arrive. 
They're, they weren't called to be a deliverer in Israel. They're, they're not living under an Nazarite vow like you are. You're special. You're chosen. You're called. You're blessed. You're a deliverer. Let me pause for just a moment. Let me just say a word or two to those of you who are raising children. You must understand as parents, we must be very careful to make sure that our children do not grow up believing that the world revolves around them. This is, this is hard to do. Because listen, there's not a parent in this room that doesn't have such an intense love for their children. And that intense love causes you to want to give them everything. You just do. None of our children's births were announced by an angel. None of our children, as far as we know, were meant to be any type of a deliverer. None of our, none of our children, I suppose maybe there's a few families in here, but, but I'm thinking to myself, you know, period, a period of years of barrenness in which this child shows up and it's just so special. And this child has this calling hanging over his or her head. Listen, I'm just telling you the intense love that fills your heart for your child. You and I must actively resist the natural desire or longing to give them everything that they want. You know, the truth of the matter is that children who never have to deal with difficulty, and they're constantly praised, and they're constantly given everything they could possibly want. Listen, they usually grow up with an overinflated sense of self-worth. If that's how a child is raised, they're constantly told how great they are and how wonderful they are. Now listen, I think there's some balance in all of this. Now, I'm, not, I'm not advocating any of you tell your, your kid you're worthless, you're a bum, you're you know, you're this, you're that, you know, I don't even know where, where you came from. You, I'm not saying that. I think there's a balance in all of this. But I think, you know, I think that in some respects, many parents want to try to, try to keep their kids from any hardship and from any difficulty. And we want to rush in and we want to save the day every day. We want our children to grow up in this, in, in, this, in this bubble that is just perfect in which there's no struggle, there's no hardship, and they don't have to learn how to work through some things and how to deal with some things in life. You know, it's, it's, hard. it's hard for children that are raised in this way to imagine that they're anything but a superstar and that they deserve, listen, that they deserve all their heart desires. Now listen, I, I, want, you to, I want you to discover the, the, the end result of raising your child uh, to, to, to assume that he is the most important thing in all of the world. You're in Judges 13, go to Judges 14. Here, here's, here's, where, here's where it ends. Here's where it ends. Would you look in verse number two? Speaking of Samson, and he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath, of the daughters of the Philistines. Now here it is. Mark this, mark it in bold. Now therefore, get her for me to wife. Look at verse three. Look at the end. And Samson said unto his father, get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. Now I would hope, I would hope that in every home in this building here tonight, if one of your children spoke to you like that, that that would be a very short conversation. <laughs> That your, that your eyebrows would be lifted as your child says, get me this father, get me this mother, this pleases me, give it to me now. I, I would hope, I would hope that we would say, now hold on a minute, it's time for us to have a little family meeting. <laughs> it's time for us to have a little discussion. This is not the way that we're supposed to communicate with our parents. You want something? Sure, I, I don't have a problem with that, but ask for it nicely. Use your manners. Show some respect. 
Father, can I? I don't suppose too many of you kids are calling your parents father and mother, but, but you get the idea. Dad, can I have a glass of water instead of dad? Water now, right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't tolerate that kind of thing in our home. Now listen, I have to tell you that this kind of stuff has to be taught. Children will naturally begin by saying, give this to me now. It's why, it's why every time a child is born for the first six months, it is nothing but crying and screaming in the middle of the night, right? And over time, you have to help them to understand, listen, you know, mom needs a little sleep every once in a while, right? You'll be all right. You'll survive. You'll, you'll, you'll make it through the night, I promise. You're not going to die here tonight. You'll be okay. And there's a, there's a training element in all of this. I just have to say, listen, it is, it is good for a man. It is good for a young man to look over his life and to recount some moments of struggle. To, to look back at some things and to say, you know, you know I, had to, I had to face that on my own. No, nobody, came, nobody came to save the day here. This was something I had to, I dug that hole and I had to dig my way out of it. I got in that mess and I had to get myself out of that mess. Mom and dad, maybe they were there to, to help and to support, but they didn't do the job for me. No, I had to do that myself. It's good for a man to look over his life and to recount moments of struggle, moments of disappointment, moments even of failure. Listen, for these produce much more growth and strength than just constant blessing and success does. You know, we want, we want the blessing. We want the success. But listen, you learn a whole lot more in your failure than you do in your blessings, than you do in your in your successes. From the looks of things, as I observe it, Samson had very little of this kind of thing to contend with as he was growing up. And I believe that might have contributed to a growing assumption in his mind that he was different, he was special, he was chosen, that he was enough. I just need to show up. If I just show up, everything will be fine. After all, I'm a deliverer. After all, my, my birth was announced. After all, I'm special. I'm called. I'm chosen by God. Notice there's a second thought that I come to as I work through Samson's life, and that is this, number two, that Samson's unusual strength led him to believe that he was different. Not only his unusual birth and calling led him to believe that he was different, that he was special, that he was enough, we discover also his unusual strength. In Judges chapter 14, all the way through Judges chapter 16, we discover several incredible instances in which Samson displays unusual feats of strength. Most of them you're familiar with. And so, and so we'll just touch on a, on a few of them tonight. In Judges 14, the Bible tells us in verse number 5 that Samson's traveling back and forth between Timnath and, and where he's from. And and on one of those journeys, he, he encounters a lion that roared against him. I, uh, I, I don't know if you ever had an encounter with, a, with, an, with an animal like, like that or not, but I would suppose that would probably fill most of our hearts with fear. I remember years ago, I was working on a bus route here on the west side of Cleveland. And I remember I was knocking on some doors, and I remember I walked up to a door, I knocked on a door, and you know, you, you observe certain things as you're going to different houses and door knocking, and so you kind of get, get an idea of your whereabouts. And, and I looked, and I noticed that the, it was a summertime, and the door was, was there, but there was a missing part of the door where the screen might have normally been. It was gone. So I knocked on the door. I, 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 if I remember correctly, this was a family that had ridden our bus before, and so we were either maybe following up or whatever. So I knocked on the door, and I stood there for a moment, and then I began to hear these like little paw prints. And I, I looked at you know, the door, and, 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 I, and I heard the prints, and 
And, I, and then I looked at the fact that this, element, this part of the door was missing, and so I sort of started to kind of take a step or two back, you know. The next thing I know, this dog comes flying through that missing screen door. I, I have a feeling that's probably why it was missing to begin with, is because the dog had taken it out, and now I'm backpedaling. And I'm trying to get away from this thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm running backwards, and I tripped over something in the yard, and I landed flat on my back. And by the time I, by the time I sat up and I looked around, I realized, you know, I, want, I, w- I would want you to think that it was a German Shepherd or a Rottweiler. It was a Chihuahua that had jumped <laughs> through that screen door that I was running. I literally was running for my life. I was terrified, absolutely terrified. I'm not ashamed to tell you that. That happened. There, folks that work on the bus, they were across the street. They watched the whole thing go down. It was one of the most embarrassing, humiliating moments of my life. But here's this lion. The Bible says in verse number five that this lion rose up against him and roared against him. And look in verse number six. And the spirit of the Lord, that's really important. That's an important phrase. The spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand. Samson literally tore that lion as if it were a kid, as if it were a young powerless little lamb. Notice in Judges 14 in verse number 19, the Bible tells us that Samson, he slew 30 men of the city of Ashkelon who were Philistine men. He took their spoil and gave changes of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. And you know that story. We don't have time to dig into that. But, but he slew 30 Philistines in order to fulfill a promise or a vow that he had made to anyone who could figure out this riddle that he had given in, earlier in the chapter. Judges 15 and verse number six, think about this. Samson caught 300 foxes. Catching one fox probably be hard enough. And we don't know how he did it. Bob doesn't tell us how he did it. We can, we can, assume, we can assume that perhaps, perhaps his unusual strength probably had something to do with it. And he caught 300 foxes and he tied each fox together, tail to tail, and he attached, as he was tying the foxes together, he attached a a small torch or a firebrand to them before setting them free to destroy the Philistine property and crops. Judges 15 and verse number eight, the Philistines killed Samson's wife and her father because of how Samson had destroyed their crops. It was an act of retaliation. And so Samson again retaliated by killing many of them in a great slaughter, according to verse number eight. In Judges 15, verses 14 and 15, listen, earlier in the chapter, we find that the Bible tells us that took 3,000 of his own countrymen, 3,000 men of the tribe of Judah, they bound Samson and they delivered him into the hand of the Philistines. The Bible says that shortly after he was delivered in the hand of the Philistines, he tore apart the cords that had bound him And listen, he slew 1,000, 1,000 Philistine men with the jawbone of a donkey at one time. I'm just telling you, you read the, the story of Samson and you will find amazing feat after amazing feat of unusual strength. And by the way, if, you, if you'll read this, you'll, you'll study this, this text, you'll find in almost all of these stories, the Bible tells us that it was the Lord that came upon him and gave him the power and strength to do what he did. It was God. God did it. And yet, listen, and yet, as you, you, I, I studied this passage. As you read through the passage, you'll never find one time that Samson gives God the honor and the glory. Never. 
Samson never lifts up his voice and says to God, thank you, thank you for delivering me. Thank you for delivering me out of the hand of the Philistines so that I can deliver my country out of their hands. No, all along the way, it's as if Samson has convinced himself that this power belongs to him and that he is responsible for it. You know, there's something within a man that is nearly as powerful as these displays of strength from Samson. And it's this thing called an ego. The ego. A man is naturally driven by pride and self-will. And I have to think that Samson probably grew to really love the looks of fear in the eyes of his enemy. You know, as he's, got that, as he's got that jawbone in his hand and there's 500 men laying over here on the ground that he's slain already and he looks at the next 500 and all of them are thinking to themselves, we are dead. This guy is, is, is we've never seen anything like this before. Don't you suppose that he probably grew to love the look of fear in the eyes of his enemies? Don't you suppose he, he grew to love the accolades that were heaped upon him after his most recent slaughter? I mean, they said about David after he killed Goliath that David has slain his, 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 thousands, his, his, his ten thousands. And if that's true about David slaying one man, what would they say about a man who slew a thousand men at one particular time? Do you suppose that Samson loved the conversation about him? Hey, watch out for that guy over there. Don't cross him. And you cross him and you're going you're gonna to find yourself wishing you hadn't. There, there's, that, that's, that, there's nobody like him, and there's nobody that, uh, that we've ever seen that has this type of power and this type of control over others. And listen, because no one else was able to do what he was doing, perhaps Samson assumed that he was different, that there was nobody on this earth equal to him in power and might. If a problem existed, if there was an issue, Samson, if he was nearby, his mere presence would eliminate the problem I have to think that Samson quickly came to assume that he was special. That he was the chosen one. No matter what scenario he found himself in, he would always emerge as the hero. Why? Because of his unusual displays of strength. Can I help you understand something? You know some incredibly talented and gifted people in our world today. And yet we should learn a very, very valuable lesson from Samson. Though the Lord was clearly the giver of his strength, sometimes, listen, sometimes incredibly gifted and talented people have a difficult time seeing that it is God who has gifted them. Someone can get up and they can sing beautifully, or they can play an instrument incredibly, or they can solve a, a problem, or they can stand behind a pulpit and preach a powerful message or a powerful lesson. And if they're not careful, they'll forget who gave you that voice? Who gave you that ability to play that instrument? Who, who, gave, who gave you that message from God's word? Who gave you that mind to be able to solve that problem? Uh, who gave you that talent to be able to, uh, to, to, to lead large groups of people? Uh, who, who gave you all of that? It is God alone who gifts men in this way. Sometimes talented people have a difficult time seeing that. They might assume that they're just naturally talented or that they have, they've worked harder than anyone else to develop their talent. And as a result, they try to take glory in it and rely upon it in order to accomplish things, including, listen, including trying to accomplish God's will or God's purpose for their lives. We have to guard against that. I believe there are some talented and gifted people in this church. 
I have no doubt about that. Some of you, you've been extraordinarily blessed with talents and abilities. You're you're, you're, you're fun to be around. You're, uh, you, you have an engaging personality. You have leadership gifts and skills. Or perhaps you're musically talented and gifted. Uh, or an, any number of different things. You may be physically strong and, and, and physically attractive. And, and, and if you're not careful, you'll begin to think that you had something to do with that. And I will say again that there is some hard work and effort that goes into some things. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it is God who gives us the abilities to do what it is that we're able to do. We find that Samson failed to acknowledge God. He failed to conduct his ministry in a way that was pleasing to the Lord. And because of that, listen, because of that, he accomplished far less than he should have. The third and final thing that I want you to see tonight is this. I believe that the delay, the delay between sowing and reaping led Samson to believe that he was different. The delay in his life between sowing and reaping led him to believe that he was different. You know, there's a principle in the Bible known as sowing and reaping. You're, this is Sunday night at Cleveland Baptist Church. You're very familiar with that, with that theme. And one factor of sowing and reaping is this, that we reap much later than we sow. So a man sows his seed in springtime, but he does not reap his harvest for many months. And because of, listen, because of this delay, many men might assume, might assume that they've gotten away with some wickedness and carnality simply because there's a delay between sowing and reaping. Over and over, Samson, in his life, he behaves carnally. And for a period of years, it appears as if he has successfully avoided reaping or punishment. And perhaps it all just goes to his head. Well, of course, nobody, nobody's going to punish me. I'm different. I'm a deliverer. My birth was announced by angels. I'm special. No one's, no one's going no to bring judgment into my life. No one can bring judgment into my life. I'm stronger than anybody else. And he goes on assuming that because he has not yet so uh, has not yet reaped that he's not going to reap. In Judges 14 in verse number one, we find Samson loitering in Timnath, a place that a man of God should never spend much time. His time in Timnath ends poorly, but he fails to learn his lesson because as we come to Judges 16, look in verse number one, then went Samson to Gaza. So now he's loitering in Gaza the Bible tells us the remainder of the verse that he spends time with a harlot in Gaza. And he does, yet he doesn't learn his lesson in Gaza. And he has problems in Gaza as well. He gets trapped there at night. And he has to literally escape. And he has to carry the city wall, city gates uh, up to the top of a hill just to get out of there. And yet what do we find in verse number four? Or verse number four. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. And so it's like this guy never gets the picture. He never gets the idea. He just keeps sowing because, listen, in his mind, in his mind, he hasn't had to reap. He thinks, I never will have to reap. No one, no one could bring me down. Later, later we find him in an immoral relationship with a woman by the name of Delilah, and she would eventually be his downfall. But not only is Samson morally impure, and he's not yet reaped the consequences, but he's also He's also careless as it relates to his Nazarite vow. In Judges 14, verses 8 and 9, he comes upon the dead carcass of the lion that we talked about earlier that he slew. And 
And he discovers that there's some honey that is in that lion, and he scoops honey out of it, thereby comes in contact with that dead carcass, which is a violation of the Nazarite vow. He scoops that honey out to nourish himself, and he gives it to his parents. But listen, listen, he knows, he knows it's a violation of his vow, and so he refrains from telling his parents where he found the honey. Because he knows. He's just careless. He just doesn't care. He's, he's sowing, listen, the Bible talks about in Galatians 6, he's sowing to his flesh. Listen, don't, don't, don't mistake this. You sow to your flesh and you will reap corruption every time. The problem is that there's a delay between the sowing and the reaping. And we convince ourselves, well, I haven't had to reap yet, therefore I must be okay. That's where Samson is. Every step of the way. Judges 16 and verse 17. Samson reveals to Delilah the secret to his strength or what he assumes is a secret to his strength. And that is there's never been a razor that's touched this head. Give me a haircut and I won't be as strong. And I just think to myself, the reality, Samson, your strength does not lie in the length of your hair. It never has, it never has been in the length of your hair. Your strength lies in the power of God and the hand of God upon you. You know, Samson's carnal behavior destroyed his life and eventually forfeited the blessing of the power of God in his life. Now listen, you and I must understand that we will never win in this game. The devil will try to convince you that you can toy around and you can play with sin and you can, you can play with temptation and you can leave yourself open to these things. And, and, and because you haven't been caught yet, you never will. And I'm just telling you, the Bible is clear. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Judgment is coming. Be sure, be sure your sin will find you out. The devil will try to convince you you've gotten away with something that no one else has gotten away with. But listen, don't believe him for a second. A day of reaping, a day of reckoning is always coming. You, listen, you are not enough to avoid this inevitable outcome. And Samson would discover that truth the hard way. Though his birth and calling were unusual, that's not enough to accomplish what God had given Samson to accomplish. And though he displayed unusual talent, and ability and strength probably far surpassing what anyone that we know of is capable of doing. Listen, it's still not enough to accomplish what God had given him to accomplish. Though he lived carnally and experienced a period in which he seemed to avoid judgment and chastisement, eventually judgment would fall. His weakness, his besetting sin encourages us and reminds us that we are not alone. Great man like Samson was weak. We're all weak in some area or another, but it also teaches, listen, that carnal behavior can ruin the life of a supremely gifted and talented and even called man or woman. All of us can think of men and women who are, who are incredibly talented, and yet they didn't guard their heart. They allowed themselves open to the temptation of the devil and as a result, they took a spectacular fall. Guard your heart. Guard your purity. Samson's greatest inability was in not seeing the weakness of his flesh and not resting in the power of God. If you and I have something that constantly reminds us of our flesh's weakness, that's not something to complain about. In other words, if there's something in your life that is just a continual reminder of just how broken you are, something that is a continual reminder of how flawed you are, we might, we might wish that God would remove this from us, 
But I think what we learn as we study Scripture is that that might be the thing that we need the most in our life because it drives us, it drives us into the hand of Almighty God to rely upon His grace and upon His strength.